0: Hey y'all! Sorry it took me a long time, but here I am. The movie I'm going to be talking about was a made for TV movie. It stars Sydney Poitier. It's a, it's a Western drama romance. It's called Children of the Dust. Originally, the title was supposed to be called It's a Good Day to Die but since it was based off a book called Children of the Dust, they decided to go with that. My thing is, Sidney Poitier is a very popular, well, was a very popular actor. I've seen Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, Bluebird Sing, and um, Raisin in the Sun, and the last film I saw him in was in the film called The Jackal. And that was actually my first film with him in it. I never heard of him until I saw that film, and at that time I was too young to know who Sidney Poitier is. As I got older, and I saw all those other previous films I mentioned, I realized what an amazing actor he was. He was, oh, classic, eloquent, and may I say he was drop dead gorgeous in my opinion. Then I found out something interesting about his life. He grew up in the Caribbean islands. He never knew anything about segregation or discrimination until he moved to America. And he had never seen a movie until he was about eight years old. And the island he grew up in opened up their first little mini movie theater. And the first film he saw was a Western. And he could not believe it. The funny story he told was how he wondered how they fit all these little people inside this giant box. At the end of the movie, he even went as far as to try and figure out how they put those little people in the box. (laughs) I find that extremely hilarious, but very charming as well. Can't imagine living that way. And I have loved movies since I can remember. Anyway, so um the film children of the dust it's a let me put it this way i'm gonna say that this film i call it like a combination of a western version of withering heights but i'm gonna call it withering yikes and you'll understand why because Remember I'm talking about the movie, not the book. I'll talk about the book another day. Hopefully the book will be a lot different from the film and I hope to God that like every other book that's turned into a film, the book is better I hope because and I, I say this with great emphasis um the reason why I call this episode withering Yikes is because it is just that yikes and it is basically that of course. You'd think it's Sydney Poitier playing um, the Heathcliff of the story, but no. No, this is Withering Heights with a uh, Clint Eastwood kind of um, character in it. And that's what, um, that's what Poitier plays. He plays like the Clint Eastwood of the character. Um, he plays this guy named Gypsy Smith. He is a half African, half Cherokee, born, grew up in the West during the construction of America and he lived in the province of Kentucky. He was a bounty hunter, gunslinger, just your all around casual cowboy. Um, <clears throat> so basically he just was the kind of guy who just basically bounced from town to town, accepted service here and there. And he took up a job as a like an ambassador and a translator for the US military during the time when they had their conflicts with the Indians. The film begins with him going into this uh, Cheyenne uh, tribe where he's there with the soldiers and they're there to apprehend and arrest this tribal chief whom they have accused of stirring up trouble. One thing about the Native Americans and the African Americans of today is that when it comes to the authorities, particularly white authorities with guns, there's always bound to be disaster going on due to the heightened paranoia of the white men who look upon anybody else who is not white. Well, anyway, so in the beginning of that conflict... um, They went there, quote unquote, to arrest this chief, but instead they ended up having this big conflict going on. Guys got nervous when the chief showed that he wasn't interested in going unless he was arrested or didn't want to go at all. So guys with guns, they ended up shooting up every Indian that was there. There was disaster everywhere. Gypsy Smith tried to calm everything down, but he was only one man against several others. I can imagine that kind of conflict there. The only thing he could do was save the tribal chief's only son, Little Raven. So he took the boy and he went off and went to this, um, this homestead, this tiny town, very tiny town, it's still under construction by the way, and there's a trading post there with a Native American school there. And it's owned by a man whom Smith is familiar with, the man there is, lives there with his wife and his two kids. One of the kids, a son that was from a previous marriage from his wife, and the second one was a daughter that he shares with his wife. His wife was this high-class society woman from Boston, and uh, she must have been a widow of some sort, and she decided to marry this guy and go off and live in the West. Oh, this woman is played by Tara Fawcett. This is by far the shortest Uh, script I've ever seen her uh, do in a film. The first one I've ever seen. And let's see, um, the last two films I've ever seen her in was Man of the House and uh, The Burning Bed. That's a film we're going to be discussing soon, people. That's a film that has to be brought up and discussed immediately. And also for lighting up the mood, we will also talk about Man of the House. Another very, very nice, wonderful film I want to discuss with you guys in the later future. But meanwhile, so uh, so Gypsy brings this little raven to these people and asking them to take care of him because this is a guy who cannot take care of a child. He cannot because he doesn't have a home and... Uh, <laughs> Lord knows he's already in trouble enough being a black man who is carrying a gun and he's a gunslinger and uh, might be tough on him to try to look after one little Indian boy. So anyways, the little raven meets Rachel. That's the daughter, that's the daughter I was mentioning. And uh, the two of them seem to have fallen quickly in love. One thing about Rachel is that she is the Catherine of this story. For any of y'all who have never read Withering Heights, Catherine Heathcliff, that is like the, oh God, that is like the beginning stages of drama romance. And by drama romance, I don't just mean like like simple uh, miscommunication of some sort and this and that. I'm talking about the bickering, the the whinings, and the constant longing, yet they still get into fights and then, oh, just... <laughs> Yeah, um, Wuthering Heights is kind of like a a story. You either love it so much or you resent it so much or you have this uh, uh, love-hate relationship towards it or you just consider it your guilty pleasure. I am on the neutral side when it comes to that story. I definitely know it is one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written by a woman. And God bless Emily Bronte for writing that book. Loved how she described it as being that she just loved writing about how delicious anger can be. (laughs) Love how she said it that way. So anyways, back to the story. So, uh, little Raven, he's adopted in this family, quote unquote, but not necessarily because The white mother there doesn't seem to like the idea about having an Indian boy growing up in her house with her children. So they had him live in a loft in their barn rather instead. And that's the closest they'll ever get to making him be part of, quote unquote, their family. Uh, The boy was to be enrolled in the Indian school. I guess it couldn't be any worse than him being enrolled in that god-awful school that that was only famous for one thing, Beaten and molesting the Indian children that were there. And yeah, that's a, I don't wanna dread on that one because that makes me so angry. But yeah, bottom line is, Little Raven could have suffered worse and this, This guy here, I mean, this guy, uh, Gypsy's uh, friend here, he's a good man, a kind man, and all he wanted to do was try to help the Indians and the white people try to get along with each other, and he strongly believed that maybe if uh, Native Americans were taught the white man's way, quote unquote, then maybe all of us would all get along better. Well, we'll see that later on in the film. So anyways, uh, Little Raven, when he is adopted in here, Rachel, she at first kind of treated him like he was a lost puppy and just kind of thought, oh, a little raven. I had a little raven uh, and I took care of it until it got better and then I let him loose. Well, here's the worst insulting thing is that she got to name him. Apparently, any Native American child that was taken in by a white family in these schools here, they had to get rid of their Indian name. So they're given white names. And uh, Rachel got to give him the white name of... (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) Kobe White. Kobe White. Can Rachel be any more bigoted than that? (laughs) Uh, And... And throughout the film, you're going to see that her intentions are well, n- well intended, but um, she doesn't seem to realize until later just how ridiculous she has been. Or I don't think she never will. Who knows? Well, anyway, so... <clears throat> So she named him Kobe White. Kobe White got a new name, and he got to stay with the, uh, the family. And uh, remember, for any of you who, once again, if you've never read Wuthering Heights, there's also a character in Wuthering Heights who just loved picking on Heathcliff and treating him like he was a slave, like he was nothing, like he meant nothing to anybody in his family. And uh, he was always favored by his stepfather. Uh, he was grateful that his mother never favored him. But his mother did try to, you know, at least, she at least fed the kid and tried to be, you know, nice to him. Well, anyways, long story short about that mother is that she started going nuts. All the stories about white abductions from the Indians and a whole lot of other horror things just got into her head and (laughs) she ended up killing herself. And so years later, down the road, Rachel and Kobe became childhood sweethearts. Oh, Rachel was just all over him. I mean, she would just cling on to him and talk about how when she grows up, she's going to marry Kobe and they were going to live together and live happily ever after. Kobe seemed to be like, like, you know, okay, babe, whatever you want. (laughs) But I never heard him said that he loved her until like in the end of the film. He seemed like very laid back and, um... It loved her, but never actually said the word. It just seemed more like um, this was Rachel clinging on to 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 him, like like he was hers and hers only. She wasn't going to share him with anybody. She didn't even uh, uh, want to acknowledge the fact that they live in a society where uh, they would have been ostracized. I mean, Kobe wasn't exactly going to end up graduating from high school and from college and become a lawyer or a doctor. Not in those days. I mean, in those days, you could barely get lucky getting through that. The luck, luck to anybody else in a time of discrimination, whether it be race or religion or even gender. Luck be it to them in those days. Well, anyways, Kobe and Rachel's relationship is founded out by her father and uh, he is basically rejected once again. Kobe feels disenchanted and disillusioned by the fact that here's this man who thought that he was like a son to and he looked up to him and thought of him as another father to him when he needed one. He got angry and just out left, returned to his tribe. Rachel gets all upset and begs him not to go and begs him not to leave, but he does and he changes his name to White Wolf. So he goes back to his people, Rachel is sent off to some all-girls boarding school. Years later, down the road, Rachel returns and the small town they lived in expanded. Apparently, some rich guy from the south showed up and gave a lot of money and started opening up some hotels and a train station and a whole lot of a casino and a, trying to open up a theater. I mean, he's trying to bring class into this small town, but no one seems to wonder why he was so interested in this. And why he is so mysteriously surrounded by gun armed, unarmed gunmen. And uh, he shows perversive interest in Rachel. And Rachel, you know, not exactly teasing him or anything like that, but, you know, she finds him flattering and all that and a little charming and all. But she still missed Kobe. So she finds out about Kobe now being the next chief of his own tribe and finds out about his new name, but she still insists on calling him Kobe. And she begs him to come back to her and that the two of them got back together. But Kobe refuses to live in the white man's world and refuses to you know, follow in by the rules of the white man. And unfortunately, Rachel doesn't want to live the life of a a Indian woman, a.k.a. what her words used were, I can't live as a squaw. So yeah, that's her Catherine right there. And his Heathcliff is basically, well, we can, well then, either we're together in my world or we're not together at all. That's the Heathcliff in there. Meanwhile, while all this drama's going on, Gypsy is having his own issues. He is now asked to assist the black settlers who wanted to try and start their own and get claim their own little spot in in Kentucky. And they did. They managed to get a a piece of land in Kentucky and they were going to start their own town. These were all ex-slaves that were... um, Oh, God, what was the word? Emancipated by the end of the Civil War. And so they had the opportunity to go off and be on their own. But unfortunately, in those days, even when black people are just trying to make their own place in the world, whites just still had an issue with having that around. No, they'd rather have them back in chains and running from the law and whipping them. And God, God, we all know exactly what would happen to them. Well, anyway, so so, Gypsy... He takes up the uh, he takes up the honor of leading them to a land, helps these guys build that, becomes a sheriff there on behalf of them. He falls in love with a simple religious school teacher there. And the two of them have a little romance going on there. But Gypsy still wasn't up for getting married and settling down and all that jazz. Then he gets kidnapped by a bunch of clansmen who beat him and castrate him. Oh God, that's just so awful. Well anyways, after that he broke off with the gal that he falls in love with and all he wants is vengeance. And that's all he spent his time doing is seeking vengeance, finding the clansmen who beat him and castrated him. And with the help of White Wolf, they do that together. They find out that these Klansmen who kidnapped, beat him, and castrated him were linked to this mysterious man who showed up at Rachel's small town and made this big fortune out of it. We find out that this man who has taken an interest in her, married her, he is actually a clansman. Worse, he is the leader of the Klansman. And his plan was to make sure that he makes it all the way to Congress and to the White House and try to... Obtain power with the government and, well, God knows what would have happened if a Klansman actually managed to become president of the United States in those days. Lord knows what would have happened. Well, anyway, so, so Rachel finds out what kind of mess she's in and she's unable to escape because the husband she married threatened to kill her, her father, and everybody else that she loved, including Kobe. Well, Kobe and Gypsy rescue her and they killed him and then they run off. Well, they didn't run for very long because the authorities caught up with them and they ended up getting killed. Rachel survives because she's pregnant with Kobe's baby and Kobe insisted that she go on and live. So she does. She goes on to live. So the story ends with the school teacher befriending Rachel and the two of them just mourning the death of the two men that they love. And Kobe's son is running to Rachel, his mother. And that's the happy ending for it. Now, this is one of those guilty pleasure films that I kind of enjoyed. I watched it mainly because I'm a huge fan of history, mainly on um, the topics of, um, slavery and uh, what the old west was like and uh, um, the discrimination even against women and how this country was built and how um, also more importantly my most personal favorite native americans but anyways i also loved it because like i said i love sydney poitier and um, i also love the fact that this film you know it's it's got, it's got like this uh, mix of, uh, of John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and like I said before, Withering Heights kind of tale to it. Very old-fashioned, 1980s, um, overly dramatic, mediocre romance. Uh, a bit of a mixture also of um, uh, The Thorn Birds. Oh my God, that is something we need to talk about later, folks. We definitely need to dive into that drama, drama dish there. I mean, before Twilight, before Fifty Shades of Grey, there were these books that had mediocre and and drama, <laughs> overwhelming drama, and alpha males and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, up the wazoo, y'all. That needs to be discussed. But anyways, I loved the story of um, this guy Gypsy. I mean, the idea of this mysterious enigma kind of a guy who... Um, I love how Clint how he played it, like Clint Eastwood kind of way, very mysterious, very raw, very tough, in your face, intimidating, and uh, <laughs> oh man, just it, it seemed like like Sydney Poitier played it the way if Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman merged into one, absolutely amazing. I loved it. I also love the idea that there was a time where freed black slaves attempted to try to make their own place in this country, and they would have succeeded if white people would have just left them alone and left them be. But no, they just always like to stir up trouble, always. Meanwhile, also, when it comes to the romance between Rachel and Kobe, like I said, I definitely couldn't stand Rachel. I couldn't stand her. She is not my type of heroine that I would look up to, not not then as a little girl and certainly not now as, the, as a full-grown woman. No, I think if they had ridden her to being a little more mature, a little more stronger, you know, emotional-wise and all. But I guess they try to make her out to being that, you know, she was a type of young woman who was born in this world, and um, she didn't want to end up like her mother, so terrified of everything around her that she ended up killing herself. But fact is, it's kind of hard to bridge that right there, because let's see, her mother, like I said, was a classy woman, but she was... Oh my god, I hate saying this, but it seemed like Farrah Fawcett played a Karen in those days. And Rachel, while she may not act a bit Karen, she does act a bit discriminating against native americans i mean she didn't want to live as a squaw. that was her words towards kobe when when he asked her to come run away with him she did not want to live as a squaw she didn't want to live in a teepee and wearing buckskin and all that no she wanted to live in the city and uh, live a high-class successful lifestyle and uh, she had this fantasy that kobe would be all of that Uh, Yeah, so uh, vanity, greed, selfishness, and naivete, she's guilty of all those beyond the capacity. Oh, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. And I, I see her more like she was lusting after him. I mean, she was lusting after Kobe rather than saying, I love him no matter what. I love him, savage Indian or not, I love him. And Kobe, well, like I said, I, didn't, I don't think he lusted after her. I think he loved her without being all like, like I love you or anything like that. There was this passionate scene between them where um, he got intimate with her in her wedding dress and um, they had sex in the barn. And after all of that, he thought that the two of them were gonna to be together, but she tells him no once again, and then he gets angry and then just leaves. <clears throat> uh, then, oh, that intimacy, by the way, was how they resulted in the, the pregnancy of Kobe's baby. And all of that, all of that, by the way, happened just before she was about to marry the Klansman king. Oh, man such drama such drama well thank God for Sydney Poitier's uh, storyline which involves um, racism discrimination and clansmen murdering innocent people and I gotta say this this is a very interesting um, it's an interesting story it's got drama it's got um, some historical figures in there and it's got some it's got plenty of drama for anybody who loves drama and for anybody who loves romance between um, an Indian and a white girl. And well, like I said, it's, it's all the classic dramas you could ever ask for. And for anybody who loves Withering Heights and like a little alternative to the story elements from Withering Heights with a bit of Western, then this one is definitely for you. I hope you all decide to check this film out. If you do, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Leave a comment for it. And uh, if you like it that much, I highly recommend the book. See if you can read it before I do. (laughs) Y'all take care of yourselves. Be safe. I'll see you all next time. Bye.